tuning into the top rank podcast this is marcel and this is isabel we welcome you to our podcast which we think of as a research platform grounded in conversation as you guys now know um and today we are here at rebel studios yeah super excited to be in conversation tonight with zanat begum founder of Playground Coffee Shop in Brooklyn. Um, super inspired by a lot of the work that she's doing as a young business owner, as a community leader in Bed-Stuy, as a New York native that is really making a lot of positive change and is also doing some really exciting um, work in the space that she owns. So we're just super excited to learn from you. Welcome, first of all, to the show. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Hello. We're so excited just to learn more about like your journey to... Um, the playground story, basically, and kind of your plans for the future. But we have some questions. Yeah, prepared. so we're just going to jump right in. Um, so you are the owner of a multi-purpose community space. That's what, true. Yes. E. What does your business do? Like, tell us what this means. Okay, so playground. I like to think of it as like a umbrella platform. You know, so we have a functioning coffee shop and espresso bar. So we also have pastries on deck, seven to seven all day, um, and then. Um, we also are operate as a community space. So this means that we open the store up for events such as zine fairs that we do ourselves, zine fairs that other people can do. We have open mic nights. We have movie screenings, uh, live podcasts like this. So we have done one before um, for my friend Elle, and that was actually pretty exciting. And then we are also a bookstore. So in April of this year, I opened uh, Playground Annex, which is dedicated to local and like New York artists as well, but it kind of extends to abroad. So whoever I feel like can fit the playground mission of inclusivity sells their work in our shop. And we have merch ranging from clothes, sweaters, pins, jewelry, and like antique, like niche books. So we have like, you know, sometimes one or another, you'll find like a book on like fondue or something. But yeah, pretty much <laughs> nice. I like to think about the shop as a good reflection of me. So if I were to look in the mirror, I'd see playground. That's so um, exciting to have that yeah. like outlet to be able to actually create a physical like manifestation of like yourself in a space. Like, what's the story? Like, how did you actually decide to open the the shop in the first place? So in 2015, my dad and I liquidated his business. He ran a hardware store there for 20 years, but unfortunately, like due to places like Home Depot, where it's pretty inaccessible to like you know kind of compete with, um, he kind of lost his way and then. In the last five years of his business, he started to see the massive effects and the changes in the neighborhood, whether that be through gentrification or, you know, processes like foreclosure. So uh, houses going on the uh, market for like short till and he kind of lost out to that opportunity because once those houses got bought, then they just got bought out by developers. And then, you know, like local businesses and homeowners didn't actually feel inclined to come back into the neighborhood and rebrand and kind of give back. So, yeah, like the I would say geographically Bed-Stuy in like the after during the recession suffered a lot because there are a lot of shops that actually don't exist anymore that were it's kind of a bummer because I'll even pass by and I feel like we're mourning what Bed-Stuy used to be as you walk around and see yourself as a new native. So, I'm kind of getting off track, but pretty no, much no, no, no. Oh, you're, yeah. your dad's store was in the same 
Yeah, is the place where oh, the shop is today. Okay. Yeah. It was actually twice the size. So the bar next door, Dynaco, was my dad's paint cellar and then his office as well. So I just have like really fond memories of like running around into and into stuff, you know. Mm. But um, yeah, if I can remember vividly for like a whole year, my dad and I constructed the entire place and it was like a mess. Like getting, I think seeing my dad be so vulnerable to like rip up his own store and then make space for mine was very... I'm going to say therapeutic just because he and I don't actually have like the best speaking relationship. You know, like I see him every day and he's been a present father, but I don't think emotionally he's ever been able to like open up to me and my sisters, which is difficult because, you know, he is biologically a man and we're female. So I think he always kind of thought it was a competition. If somebody got like too heavy with their opinion, it couldn't like compete with my dad. So there are like some sort of like patriarchal structures that we had to fight through, but I got to see my dad be vulnerable in front of me for the first time. And so we, well, I didn't realize how long the story was, but pretty much my dad and I, we, like, you know, we fought bureaucratic forces all throughout the city. So we, like, did all the permits and then also fighting with my landlord, who is very, very stubborn. So paying off all of his fines. And then after that, we developed this idea of doing a coffee shop because I found myself in non-traditional workspaces all throughout college. Because I think libraries were just, like, not my thing. I just, I couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't stare at a wall. Yeah. Same. So I would, like, I'm like, okay, you know, if, if for mental, my mental health and my mental wealth, I'll build a coffee shop because I feel like this is a workspace that freelancers, students, pretty much anybody can benefit from. And then I was working at this independent publishing company at the time called Eight Zines. I'm pretty sure you guys have heard oh, yeah. of it. So in that time, I learned a lot about, like, DIY culture. And then I wanted to implement that feature into the shop and... It just kind of took off. I was like, wow, this place could be great. And then, yeah, it was like I wanted to have it to be like a variety store. And, yeah, it kind of flourished into what it is today. But, yeah, our anniversary is on Halloween of every year, which is pretty spooky. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, congrats. Cool. Thanks, thanks. That's so cool. So when you decided to do this, you mentioned that you interacted with bureaucratic structures. But we're wondering, like, when you decide to start a business, what do you actually do first? Like, how did you get started? What was the first step? Um, so you, you, you're telling, you were talking earlier about how you're working in copyright right now. Yeah. Get your name copyrighted, get that LLC. That's like the first step, like pretty much just believing in yourself, locking the name down and sitting with it. Um, and then from then on you get those permits and you got to wait. So there's timelines to things like New York city has a lot of businesses opening, but there's also a lot of businesses failing. So like overall, the high, there's a very high turnaround, so there's a lot of a lot of like traction to Bed-Stuy right now. But I think overall in abandoned parts of town, everybody's just trying to build a lot more and like kind of give a lot more to these neighborhoods. Because more than it is minute being a commuter neighborhood, people actually have to experience something on the weekends there. So, yeah, it was like it was just like, excuse me, a lot of waiting, like super a lot of waiting. Like, I mean, a year is total of waiting. And then yeah. like I remember... When we got the permit, the next day I was like, okay, we're opening. Like, that's it. Oh, wow. So you have to be prepared at any moment to kind of just, like, pull the trigger and quit your job, whatever the fuck it is, and then open a shop. <laughs> I mean, it's, like, waiting for, like, licenses or, like, what is the waiting, like, game? Licenses, people to inspect your spot. So, oh, yeah, inspectors. Like, mm -hmm. And, like, during the summer, everybody typically has off. So, like, there's, like, one inspector per borough for, uh, like, a month. Oh wow! So you gotta oh, I should become an inspector. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, like, I swear they yeah. like they're like worse than cops. They're like you're like a snitch. 
Like, oh, my gosh. Oh, damn, I would have yeah. never thought, I guess, yeah, there's all these timelines and so many businesses running. And it's like, you know, you got to like mm-hmm. get, wait in line for like the next thing. Right. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, so what role do you actually play aside from like the founder? Like, are you in the shop? Like, what's your day to day experience like owning your own business? I'm there every day. Okay. Like, I have to be. Because yeah. like I, I was saying how it's a reflection of me more than anything. I... I feel like if you're not there, then you lose your business. You lose touch with your community. And I feel like everybody kind of expected me to, like, pull back a little because it's like, all right, now she's bankrolling. She could just sit here. I'm like, no, I still work behind the bar. I'll do, like, three bar shifts a week. Oh, wow. And it's fucking tough, you know, because you're, like, managing. Like, when you're as a, as a barista, you're, like, a manager, operator, barista, you know, tenant for the bathroom, all this kind of stuff. You got to look outside. And I'm just, like, me thinking as a as a manager as opposed to a barista i'm just like my tasks and my sentences are like heightened always so i'm like okay that uh, is, i just feel like i'm like a, like like a robot about to explode but <laughs> there's a lot of for me i'm a virgo so i'm like i like those anxieties right yeah. always on what parts of yourself do you see reflected in the shop like what what parts of you are i guess you said all of you in a way but what in particular mm-hmm. you think so I was really obsessed with like hand painted signs when I was opening the shop. So like it's it's kind of cool to see like that idea come to fruition because now all of our windows are hand painted. Um, aesthetic of the shop like we have vinyl tough couches and they're like vintage too. So I like I found them on the internet for like five hundred bucks and I was like sick. Like these are like these look like they've been here forever and like the wood. So my dad and I ripped out the tiles on the ground and then put like wooden planks in and it's just like old restored like like brownstone wooden floor so it just looks so cool and then we like ripped out the walls and did the brick but it just kind of felt like we were performing surgery like open heart surgery on the shop so like we revived the shit out of it but like you know just like going to like old like you live in center park so i'm sure mm-hmm. you've seen like like the like the vinyl tiles the cubes yeah that have course. like yeah. big floor pieces yeah. you know and they almost always like have like a floral shape mm-hmm. but they're like super super tiny so like i always felt really nostalgic looking at those things so i put them behind totally. the bar and in the bathroom and then, like, vinyl black and white tiles for the back. Because so, it used to be a barbershop. Um, it was a Haitian barbershop for, like, 10 years, I think. And oh, so wow. I was like, cool, I'm going to bring the barbershop vibe back to this room. So, yeah, it was. there's a lot of, like, I was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say renovation, but there's a lot of reviving. Mm, so Like the old remembrances of all the spaces and people that oh, yeah. used to be. Oh, yeah, that, wow. that's so cool that you, like, incorporate them, the, like, DNA of all those spots. Because I yeah. feel like there's so much, I mean, when businesses change hands, which, of course, is, like, in some ways an inevitable thing there's yeah. there's such like a profound erasure and so especially in cities like so New York, where there's so much value to you know in, in real estate and everything but um well we also were wondering like okay so you're clearly very much on the ground you're there every day are you guys open seven days a week yes we wow. are wow wow so as as the owner are there tasks that you've been able to delegate or do you feel like you're still holding on like super tight to- i think the only thing i'm holding on is to like finances because like i like to be on top of that stuff um, yeah I don't trust anybody with that kind of stuff, right? you know, because I'm like, this is, if my name's on this, this better be perfect kind of shit. Uh. But like, you know, the manager, we have a very amazing manager who's run the shop like successfully for a year and a half and his name is Sam. And he's really, he's really great at what he does. And then we have Tan, who's our events manager. So I don't even have to talk to people about doing events. I'm just like, just approving stuff. Yeah. All the time. But I kind of have an idea. I think everybody also has an idea of what I like, you know? So if I hate something, they're just like, Okay, like I won't say anything, but if, sorry, if I if I don't like something, I'll say something, and if I do like it, I'll just kind of whatever, you know. Right. I'm a 
like unless it's time for me to speak i'm not going to say anything but even with like the back like if the annex is open like i just try to like clean up and then dip like my presence is i i, I fix everything i lined everything not do the work you know like i mean like just experience a shop and like make it kind of a place where you would want to hang out if you weren't working there but yeah i don't know it's also like not cool to hang out with your boss all day because <laughs> i'm like i'm like significantly older than some of the kids i work there and i'm like you guys would get along more if i wasn't in here so i'm a dip <laughs> just I'm gonna a, like survey the scene and then oh like, yeah like sometimes i'll even go home to work because i'm like uh, I like to work alone. Like, to be quite honest, like, if there's stuff that I need to work on, I'll go and do it by myself. But sure. if I want to have fun, I'll pull up to my shop and just, like, goof around with everybody there. Because, like, that's pretty much what we do. And then somehow, some way, we put on, like, all these events and stuff. It just seems, like, seamless. I never feel like any sort of, like, hardship, you know? I mean, have you always wanted to be a business owner? No. I mean, like, to be quite honest, I don't think it's ever been targeted to me to be a mm. business owner. I'm like, I was supposed to be a doctor or, like, a lawyer, which I, like typically tried my hardest not to get into those fields because I'm like I don't want to be bored like you know it's like it's pretty stereotypically correct when parents you know you assume that like Asian parents want you to become like something with a lot of hierarchical structure because you're the top you know like even in education systems within Bangladesh they rank you like numbers so you're like 50 in your class or something and that's like from ages like K through 12. It's like public like information and it's public information. So you're basically your identity is like everywhere. So for me, I just was like, I can't I can't fuck with that. Like, I don't want someone to like base me off my what my education is or whatever. So, you know, recently one of my I think one of my colleagues from my college like reached out to me and they like asked me these questions like, oh, how did the new school help you? I was like, girl, you didn't like, you know, like I went to school because I had to. But I'm like, I don't want to give you like academic institutions any credit to any of the shit that I do, you know, because like. Of course, I've had the privilege of going to school, but you don't need any of that shit. Like, if you believe in yourself, just fucking do it, you know? But that's, like, it, it's, it's like, triggering for me when people are like, oh, like, is there always something, like, you, you wanted, something else you wanted to do? I'm like, not really. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm doing what I love, but right. that should be my career is what I love and not, like, a, some, like, concrete goal. Absolutely. Absolutely. But to answer your question, no. I always wanted to be, <laughs> I actually wanted to be like a singer and an actress when I was a kid. And like, I've been in choir my whole life and I played professional clarinet for like 10 years. So I'm like, like I played at Lincoln Center and I thought that was going to do that for the rest of my life. Oh, whoa. whoa. But then, I always wanted to play the clarinet actually. Yeah. So I mean like being, going from like being like first chair to like no chair, you know. Oh shit, it's first hard. chair. Look yeah. at you. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, about like, it. Because like I, I didn't want to do anything else. Like I was like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life and it didn't obviously didn't happen but it's it's interesting what happens when you put your clarinet down i guess oh my gosh yeah Yeah. life after clarinet (laughs) well you seem to be doing great life after clarinet i mean (laughs) i mean like so what i find so amazing about like your story aside from everything else i've just learned is the fact that like you're a native new yorker and you know opening a business in a neighborhood like bedsty that is so rapidly changing and gentrifying and all the fraught politics uh, around that i mean i was wondering if you could kind of speak to your experience being a small business owner in a neighborhood that is rapidly gentrifying and like perhaps like what role do you see yourself playing in the transformation of the neighborhood and yeah i'll just start there well, I think one thing to be said, um, as a person of color who also owns a small business, people expect you to be the end-all, be-all of poverty. Um, and that really fucking sucks because um, I have no choice. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm, like, stranded in my position because, like, you're supposed to be the savior, the person that gives back. Like, oh, you're making money, give it back to your community. And I'm like, if I, un- I like, inherently didn't want to do that already, that's so fucked up that there's an expectation of that kind of shit, you know? 
because like I myself want to better myself and the people around me, but I can't also be like like the superior like being in the neighborhood, you know. So it's it's kind of hard to deal with that pressure. Mm. But overall, like because uh, Bed Stuy right now is in, is has like I mean I mean I guess forever has had such a very very low tier of income coming into the neighborhood. Like almost everybody's on welfare. I would say like project, there's like an abundance of project buildings. Every other street has a project building. So I would like to, you know, assume that because there are these like, you know, very terrible uh, structural like deficits within the neighborhood, um, restaurants like will pop up and they have like, you know, like a menu that's from $50 to 100 bucks. And then there's like a, you know, across the street, there's like a KFC, you know? So like there's like these huge economic disparities and very, there's like a no presence of the middle class. That's what it feels like to me. Right. And because the commuter, commuters are, like, kind of in and out, you don't really see them. So then, you know, I've experienced a lot of theft in the shop, like, with tip jars and stuff. And mm. and it, it kind of makes me feel bad, but I'm also like, fuck, like, this is what you kind of have to do. But, I mean, I'm one of those people where I'm like, if you need money, just ask me. I'll do it. I'll give it to you. Just don't steal. Like, I don't know what the other intentions are of other businesses, but I want to kind of change that and, like, you know, be able to add some sort of rhetoric between those two. Like, even since we opened the shop, we've been working with, like, the Women's Prison Association, which is also, like, a homeless shelter as well. Um, and then working with the actual homeless shelter in our neighborhood and giving away jackets and feminine hygiene kits. So I try my hardest to kind of give back with those, like, immediate results, you know? But other than that, it's, like, it's really hard because you— I don't have all the answers, but I know that People look at me a certain way just because I am a person of color. I'm also 25, so no one really takes me serious, you know, because I also have a high-pitched voice, and I'm very, like, eh, you know, like, I feel like they're like, oh, you run a business? I'm like, yeah, bitch, I run a business. Like, yeah, what's your question, you know? So right. I get a lot of, like, back talk, especially from, like, older white women constantly. Like, in the sh- in the shop? In the customers? shop. In the shop, yeah. Even, like, on the internet and stuff. Like, recently I had an article come out about me on New York Magazine's food blog. It was not good. What? what? Yeah, because yeah. I like uh, <laughs> so basically. Man, this is a really funny story. So the, this article goes up, and within the article, my events manager Tan. I love her. Shout out and to she, Tan. She said the craziest thing in the article. She was like, "If you're a white person and you feel threatened by us, you're guilty. Like if you can't, if you don't have the, if you feel like you don't have the right to enter our room, our space, and like be a part of our event and just kind of like be an ally, then something's wrong with you." I mean, fast. You have, like, another motive. Yeah. So this woman read it, and she was like, well, fuck you guys. I don't even go there anyway. That's why I go to the mixtape shop. No shade to mixtape shop. I love that place. They have really good record selection. But there is no, there is no like, competition between us. I could, I don't <laughs> even think there's competition between me and a Starbucks. I don't give a fuck. You could sell coffee. I could sell coffee. But it's like, we're not, we're more than that, you know? And so, like, people started, like, get, throwing jabs at me and shit and being like, oh, I'm a racist and, um, you know, all this stuff. And I was just like, Wow. This, this sucks because, like, I feel like I'm being threatened. And then I was threatened later. Some guy was like, I'm going to bring a pitchfork and stand outside of your, sh- your store with all my friends. And I'm like, that's, that's like, white fragility and, like, white supremacy. It was white supremacy in its finest, you know? Wow. People thinking that, like, you're being racist because you're displaying a narrative that isn't typically, like, standard for a, from a person of color, you know, because we're at the forefront of our business and we can defend ourselves. And I can actually openly say this kind of stuff. It, like, it triggers people because people are like, oh, well, now, now uh, my whiteness is, it's fine. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not threatening you. I'm like, yeah, but you realize that every day that, like, there isn't another person of color operating a business, that's something's wrong there. Like, you're putting a white person ahead of, like, a, a specific department in a museum, all these kinds of things. These are, these are total triggers. These are, this is war, pretty much. So, like, for me, I think that as a person of color who owns a business in Bed-Stuy, it's like that right then and there's, like, a huge fuck you to anybody who didn't believe in that, you know? 
And then I think that the sole existence of Playground is super revolutionary and radical in the way where we try to actively give back to our community, but we're also just a bunch of kids who live in the thick of racism and like in like the high in the most heightened and the most politicized and the most documented times times right now. So I think it's hard to live with that trauma and also wanting to give back. So yeah, it's just like there's a lot of stuff at the forefront of our business, but I wouldn't say that it was it has been easy at all. But rewarding though, nonetheless. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I can't, ima- I can't imagine it ever being easy, especially all these different, like, personalities, politics to manage, and all the expectations. I mean, to your point about how there's this, like, extra, I, I mean, I would call, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, like, a burden, perhaps. No, that, like, absolutely. Like, there's, like you're, you're looked to as someone who's supposed to, you know, you have your own business, this idea that you're supposed to, like, automatically be, like, a... I mean, you are a community figure, but there's just almost like this expectation that you have to give back in X, Y, Z ways, which, I mean, of course, are already part of what you're doing. But this kind of extra expectation that is perhaps not leveled onto most other businesses is like, a yeah, it's like this double standard that's that's not totally fair. And like, yeah, I mean, I feel like also a lot of the time. I've noticed that people think I'm just like randomly like just bitching, you know, like to to your point about earlier how you were saying like, oh, I feel like I'm bitching all the time. I feel like I'm always bitching too, but it's like people think I'm joking when I talk about like really racist shit that happens at the shop and they're like, oh, no, not sheer ignorance. But I'm like the the root of ignorance within white people is rooted in fear and fear is within racism because you want to see me as a lower class human so that you can then control me. So I've been in situations where I've been tried, I've been like, attempted to be manipulated by a white person in the shop and i'm just like no like not not today you're like wait this is my shop though so but it's not even like it's not even about being my shop it's like in any instance even with my employees i'm like if you ever feel disrespected by anybody that you Mm. don't want in the shop kick them out get them out of there because it's not a place for them to chill and like trigger you constantly while they're there it's Mm. not fair to you as a person who's experiencing this and working at the front lines of like being in the shop like i overall don't think that it's it's you try to I don't know I guess like become this person that like oh yeah I'm gonna just let it go like no because you don't know what the impact they can have on everyone else so of course yeah well well we also would like to hear about this nonprofit that you just launched which we were chatting about before we actually started recording but um so yeah I have a nonprofit. it's called playground youth and we've been operating since May since May yeah and so in May of this year, we started this initiative to give back to our community. Um, and our mission statement goes to something along the lines of, oh, we're based in Bed-Stuy. We're a safe space for, you know, people who kind of don't have, don't have their place in, in their, themselves and within their family. And they're kind of like their platform that they're already a part of engaged in the two already. And then, you know, we also do like accessible programming. So we try to prove our mission statement through like uh, kind of like sliding scale events, workshops, courses, all that kind of stuff. But all, honestly, it's just like an alternative school. We just want to have some sort of like cultural exchange and be able to just sit and shoot the shit with people who kind of think like us and like work with that because it's the playground's only going to grow if people want to grow with us. I mean, can you talk about you? I feel like the, the, the cafe has done so many it's so much more than just a cafe. Like you just do so many events. Like Even I know you we had the had prom. An event we had an yeah. A, yeah, we had an airplane event there. Right, like, yeah. what are some of? Maybe you shouldn't have to pick favorites, but like, what are some highlights over the past? I guess upcoming three years of owning this business. Um. So my favorite event has to be 
<laughs> our 420 fair. It was so fun. <laughs> I mean, just like, n- I mean, aside from that name and the theme and everything, it wasn't even a 420 weed themed fair at all. I just happened to fall on 420. It was just so much fun, like so much positivity. Like people just want to really be outside and like kind of hang out all day and just like, you know, somehow in the backdrop and the seam of the shop, like the, there's like some art being sold. There's some music, all that kind of stuff. So I always just love seeing a billion people in the shop because it makes me feel so happy because I'm like, yeah, I did it. You know, there's like people yeah. who are just like chilling right now. Um, and then we had the shakedown screened at the shop like a few months ago. That was so cool. That was like probably one of my favorite ones. And then, um, hmm, probably. Oh, yeah, we had a, a winter bike party for this person who does like bike safety classes all around New York City. And so she did like a bike, a, like a bike giveaway. And then we did a karaoke night. That was so fun. But I think those are probably my favorite, like my top three. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like you guys have so much going on like yeah. all the time. It's really such like a multidisciplinary space. And you also record, you also, is 8-Ball Community Radio still being run out of? Out well, of no, they, I think they moved into a space in Chinatown recently. So they they kind of needed that unity, to be right. honest, but to be under the, the same place. Um but we are actually developing our own radio station that's, I want to do like AM, FM transmitting in the oh, shop wow. starting like, cool. you know, February, but do like, just like, you know, this like pilot radio shit. And I'm like really excited. Also pirate radio stuff. But um, yeah, like do like one hour of like, like play around variety hour and just have it to be like this Thursday, it'll be like talk. And the next one, it'll be a poetry reading, but like actually like start streaming our events live so that people kind of who don't can't make it can also just like access it online, you know, but I think also at the same time, being able to have a platform where people can voice their opinions too, um, and through like a pretty good like you know volunteer run system. But you know there is also like we have to think about this as like getting money because obviously we have to pay all these people who want to be a part of it. So there are a lot of vendor like ventures that we have, but it all starts from the sweet smell of that green. Mm. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool that you guys are able to do. Such a variety, like even the ones that you just described as the highlight, such a variety of events, because I feel like so many businesses, there's so much pressure to subscribe to a certain brand. You know, it's a design identity. It's like a platform that's very kind of like tight and inflexible. And the fact that you have this really dynamic sense of community allows you guys to do so much more than like so many other like businesses can. I mean, ones that are not also probably run by people like you, but that's just really cool to hear about. Like, I feel like every time I see you guys post an event, I'm like, whoa, like, this yeah. is like so different than the last one. And like, so yeah, unique. I think, yeah, I think I just want to do like a bunch of stuff, you know, that's it. Like, I think just being able to open the space up to anybody who wants to do something for the first time, the second time or the last time, it doesn't matter. But I just want to be able to experience something with someone and kind of build my community off there because, you know, eventually I'd like to have, like, an alternative school and have resources where somebody can teach a course and do, like, three of them, like, for a whole year. And then these workshops, like, kind of add up and kind of get them into our roster of, like, educators because I think it's important to be able to spread the knowledge and the, I guess, the information that you have to other people who can't necessarily have the means to access that, you know, because school is obviously really expensive and Mm. Because of my formal education training, before because of you guys' formal education training, we can really change the discourse of someone's life and, like, the the train that'll take them to where they need to be. Because I realized, like, even just, like, talking to someone for, like, 15 minutes, I was, like, I somebody told me, like, I changed their lives. And I was, like, whoa, 
Mm. I didn't I didn't know I could do that. But it's like you do have the power of words is like a lot stronger than we think. And to someone who doesn't necessarily know that they have the power to change their lives, it can it can really be like life changing. <laughs> For yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, you're. I want to hear more about this alternative school because our next question was actually about sort of your vision for the space into the future. But it seems like this alternative school idea is something. Uh, yeah, I wanted to learn, know more about that. Like, what's your what's your vision for that? So basically, just like kind of repeating what I said earlier, being able to use all of the people, the great people we've met this year and like kind of help them, you know, just do these like miniature classes. So maybe even getting you guys to like teach someone how to record a podcast for the first time, you know, and like come back and yeah. do their homework and be like, so, so this down. is how you edit and this is how you put it on. And it's like something you learn within like three weeks or like a month or a year. Um, so not necessarily having a timeline for anything, but also like a semester sign up kind of thing. So like Tan uh, has a degree in fashion from Pratt, so she can do like a sewing class and then I can teach people how to like make a zine or do zine binding or like actually record a podcast too. And then or run a business, run a business. Yeah. Here's some, here are like an hour worth of tips on how to start saving money to own a business. Or we have like these classes that are helping with people on how to like invest and save and pay off all your bills and cool. get a good credit score and I then sign me up i'm already pre-signed so up for that yeah. <laughs> yeah and then one of my um one of my like colleagues is also having a course there this weekend um it's for narcan training to teach people how to help someone from overdosing right um and that's really important because we have a huge heroin epidemic in new york right now and we don't know it um and so i guess without that knowledge you can't really help someone who really needs it um and then going back to like the screenings, keeping them free. Um, and then my my partner Ray is also a graphic designer, so being able to teach someone how to use Photoshop for the first time. So like just like kind of anything at this point, but lower narrowing it down to like what kind of schools and what kind of program do we want to offer? Because it's all about access, and we have a space. And the only thing that we need to do is just kind of let people know what we're doing, and hopefully they'll understand and kind of come our way. For sure. Yeah, I mean, like, that's a big reason why we even wanted to have you on the show is because we're like, you have so much amazing knowledge and like experience that probably a lot of people like could benefit from hearing. So that was, I mean, that was like part of the whole impetus for this as well. But I mean, th that's so true. Like people, I feel like we're taught to be so protective of our skill sets and like protective of our knowledge. Mm -hmm. And it's so refreshing to hear that you, it's like actually the most empowering thing you can do is just to like give it away you know and, like, yeah and share i think it. it's right. like you kind of have to get away from that hustler mentality like someone's gonna steal my idea or some shit i'm mm. like shut up like, yeah, like we're they all, will no ideas original. Yeah. No we're ideas all original. human like no one's original you know but the only thing that we can be authentic about is that no one thinks like you like no one in this universe thinks like you do you know like you do or you know any or me like so we all have different brain waves like we have fingerprints so you can offer something new, even if you don't think that it is original to someone. But yeah, I think the idea of words and powers, and we live in such a strange time where our president used such a, so few little words to express like the dynamic of what our country is turning into, like the, there's a huge paradigm shift. So how do we use our knowledge to save someone, to keep them safe and protected, you know? For sure. But yeah, I don't know. I've always kind of been the person I'm just like, hey, you want to learn how to do something? Sure. Let's sit down. Let's fucking do it. Like you want to learn how to make a latte? I'll do a barista training. So we're even developing that idea because we do have a coffee shop doing like an hour's long worth of a certification course for someone who wants to learn how to become a barista. Um, and we're developing that idea. And then it's starting in December. We're going to do our first course. But, you know, just like kind of using these like really like weird connections to getting people to what they need to do, like even their first job. So, you know, no one taught me how to do anything. Every day I feel like I'm kind of alone in this whole process because unfortunately not a lot of 
it's, yeah, and it's, it is really unfortunate that people my own age don't own businesses or like can operate them because no one believes in them. Mm. And I feel like if I can believe in someone just like I believe in myself, it should be enough, you know? I mean, yeah. for those people out there who want to start a business, like what advice would you have? I mean, you mentioned all these things about saving money. I was like, I want to kind of hear you. I want to hear I your like, tips. As, I feel like as long as you have a good credit score, get that loan. Like start it. Get that loan. And also hit up a scholarship library. You know, there's also a lot of investors. So if you go to certain credit unions, there are people who want to put money into neighborhoods and want to open businesses on your behalf. So do it. Get in touch with those agencies. And like even in New York, like there are so many agencies like the small business services. And I had the like the pleasure of working with. I'm also like not trying to like, you know, like sponsor this, but like they're fantastic. But this is a free service that helps you open your business and yeah. get you like fucking waivers for certain permits and shit. Just use it. Like there's so much access in New York, but we're not. You know, we're not educated on going down those routes and it sucks because we're not able to be successful at our age. But like you can be with a lot of patience. Like I sacrifice a lot of my friendships, a lot of my alone time to do this. And like, I think I'm like, I don't know, I think I'm a different person because of it. But I'm also in my head, I think one of the only people who can do this because you there's a lot of sacrifice and you don't get to be a kid after this because, you know, life hits you really fast. So just kind of be up for anything and everything to change. So, right. yeah, you got to be very fluid and very flexible wow. in the process. I mean, how do you think you have changed since owning, started being a business owner? Well, I used to go out and I don't anymore. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's that. I don't. That's I, like, that I barely, and scene. Barely. That's it. Yeah. So like, and everybody's like, oh, you're, you know, you're boring. You don't do anything. You come home and you sleep. I'm like, yeah, but like until I get the groove of this, it's going to be really hard. Like, I don't I, I don't know anybody else that does this and, like, can be functioning, like, going out and partying. Because I'm like, it takes a lot of emotional effort out of you. Like, you, I feel like I lost a bit of myself my first year, even this year, too. Like, it was, I just kind of feel like I'm going into, like, this kind of sinkhole. But every time I feel like I'm sinking, there's, like, a light, you know, like, something that kind of grabs me out of it. So it's it's a lot of, a, like I said, a lot of a lot of sacrifice and a lot of hardship and, like, crying. I've cried so much. Like, I think crying has been, like, the best thing for me. Mm. Like, I feel like every time I cry, I'm like, it's, work, it's a workout. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm moving on. Like, like, I needed that release. Yeah, so I think you have to be able to see yourself in every different mood at all times because, you like I said, there's, like, so much going on. It's impossible for you to, like, direct and regulate anything you feel. So just be open to change, a lot of change. And... In the long run, if you care enough, it'll be good and it'll work out in your way. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, with that, Isabel, do you have any other questions? I mean, I think you t you told us so much. This <laughs> I feel like I've taken a lot of sound bites from this that I can really apply to my. I mean, even just being open to change, like believe I mean, in yourself. I believe still feel yourself. like I'm like fighting yes. growing up so hard, and it's yeah, like someone I told mean, me I was yeah. grown a few days ago, and I was like, no, I'm not. She's mentioned this like ten times. She's like, what? I, it was a shock. We're twenty seven. So, so whoa, really? I know. <laughs> I'm, really, you guys look really good. I'm grown. You know, skin. Thanks. Skin care. The ordinary. Have you heard of it before? No. What is Wait, it? Actually, yes. It's like the pure ingredients. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically, that? this. But the there's a huge story about the CEO kind of going ham on their Instagram story the other day. He was just like, "This whole company's bankrupt." But mine really? is that fact. It's a great, Super great vulnerable. skincare company. Love the drama. <laughs> love the skin type. Wow. You can come just take your investment class. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Well, on that note, thank you so much for telling us all this stuff, for sharing all your knowledge, for making time to physically come here and be with us. Yeah, for We're people around. who are in oh shit. For people who are in New York or visiting New York and wanna stop by, can you tell people the how address? to find how to find Playground? Um Playground Coffee Shop is located at eleven fourteen Bedford Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, one one two and six between Bedford and Quincy Street. We are located off the G train, the Bedford Notion G train stop. Um and the Franklin C. Uh, and the Notion C, if you or A, if you feel like walking, uh, the B fifty two goes there too, and the B twenty six, and the B thirty eight. Yeah, there's a lot of places you can, you can get there for sure. You should just get on the <laughs> train. No from JFK, just like hop off <laughs> from JFK. You just take the J, J bound to um, to Manhattan, and then you just take the J, the J to the C, and then transfer at Broadway Junction, and then get the playground. Yeah, just get the playground. Just 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 <laughs> come through. Uber. Honestly, just take an Uber, maybe, if you're too far away. It's really Split such it with a... four people. And we can find you on social media. At Tanat Begum. It's uh, full of just, like, really wacky Instagram stories, so I'm really sorry. Um, and then, or you can follow Playground Coffee Shop if you don't want to follow me personally. We do a lot of great events, and I encourage you to stop by. I feel like even talking to any one of my team members, you'll feel pretty pretty excited to be there because it's a great shop and we're located conveniently next to the notorious big mural so you get your flicks <laughs> so get your flicks and then get your flex exactly. and then you can go back home again oh my gosh thank you so thank much you. thank you also red bull for hosting us and for her songs thank you yeah, yeah thank you. top rank podcast yeah. Woo, you can find us on i guess if you're listening to us right now you figured out how to find us either on soundcloud or <laughs> itunes but share it with your friends if you have any ideas for upcoming episodes or you just kind of want to hit us up and say hi you can email us at marcel at top rank magazine or at is uh, at isabel at top rank magazine.com yeah and i guess that's it all, all right, right bye. bye later Send me in my outer bag Send me to your heart attack